Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and let me pray one more time while you turn there. Father God, we ask that you would come and bless the reading, the teaching, uh, the hearing, the understanding, and hopefully, Lord, the internalization and the application of your word. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Think about this. Uh, What area of life do you tend to struggle with contentment the most? And probably most of us have something that comes to mind very quickly. Uh, Maybe we have more than one thing. But we're going to look at Paul really telling us the secret to being content in all things. We're at the end of the book of Philippians, just reminding us where this book was written, why it was written. Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary, had traveled far and wide preaching the gospel. He had been imprisoned by the Romans. Early in his missionary journeys, the church at Philippi had sent him money more than one time. But it had probably been at least 10 years since they had sent him any money. But recently, they have sent him another gift. Now, we're not sure why there had been such a long break. Most likely, it was that Paul was traveling so much, they never knew exactly where he was, what he was doing. It's not like you had Venmo back then. We could just say, I'll send you some money. Uh, One good thing about being imprisoned is at least you had a fixed address. And so they figured out, well, Paul's here. Doesn't sound like he's doing so great. Let's send him some money. And in large part, why Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians was to say thank you for the money. So let's start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, most of us probably have heard that statement before, but just slow down and read the verse, the last half of verse 11 again with me. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Have you ever heard anybody else make a statement like that? I think I have at times, maybe not the exact words, but the exact, you know, a similar sentiment. And I'll be honest, I don't believe them. I think they're lying or they're delusional. Or they must have had such a short, cush life, they haven't suffered enough for that statement to really be tested. And yet when the Apostle Paul, with all of his myriad of suffering, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Holy Scripture, says it, we've got to pause and say, it must be true. And here's what I want us to think about. In some sense, this is the secret to life. If you could literally, honestly, sincerely and genuinely say, believe, and mean, and then carry it out, I can be content no matter what happens to me. You have no more problems. You have no more worries. You have no more fears. So I want us to think about how Paul was able to say this. How did he have this constant contentment regardless of the circumstances? And I think it's at least three things. It's based on what you know, what you seek, and what you receive. So what you know. Let's start again with verse 11. 
Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now just imagine if this Christmas, maybe you're at a big family gathering, gifts are being given, and say a grandmother or an uncle or an aunt gives a gift to one of your children, especially if you had younger children, and the child opens the gift, and whatever it is, a toy, a piece of clothing, whatever, they look at grandmother or aunt, uncle, and they say, you know what, I didn't really need this. That probably is going to be a teachable moment later in the day, is it not? It's like that's not how you say thank you for a gift. I mean, we don't want to lie around here, but at least you fake it or something. And that almost sounds, at first, how Paul's been. Thanks for the gift, but I really didn't need it. But that's not what Paul's doing. I mean, Paul is ever the teacher, and he's trying to model. And he's going to get around to saying thank you. Don't worry. He's not being rude. But what he is doing is saying, guys, I want y'all to know that I have learned a secret that I want you to learn. That all Christians can learn it. doesn't come naturally. It's a learning process. How to be content in every circumstance that you have faced and that you will face. Now, the word that he uses here for content in the Greek is a very unique word. It's not the typical word for contentment. It was a word that was the favorite of the Roman Stoic philosophers. It literally, a more more literal translation would be self-sufficient. And there were at least three tenets kind of of the ancient Roman Stoic philosophers. And it went this way. Circumstances don't touch me. I have all the resources I need within to be content. I'm self-sufficient. And therefore, I can be emotionless. I can be dispassionate. Good things, bad things, hard things, ugly things, scary things, confusing things, I rise above the circumstances. And we have modern Stoic philosophers. They don't call themselves that, but that's essentially what they're saying. Now, Paul takes this word and in a sense redeems it. He doesn't agree with everything the Stoics believed, obviously. I mean, just think about this. He doesn't say, I'm emotionless. Verse 10, he said, I rejoice greatly. Christians are supposed to be emotional in appropriate ways. So he obviously doesn't agree with that part of it. But what parts does he agree with? Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter if I'm free to travel and preach the gospel far and wide. If I have lots of money, and therefore I can kind of buy some nice food, eat whatever I want, buy a nice coat during the winter so I don't get cold, travel with my friends, be supported. Maybe have a big church where everybody likes me. I can be content when I'm high, so to speak. But if I'm brought low and I'm in a dungeon and I'm chained to a Roman centurion and I get limited food, water only, stale bread, and I'm cold and I don't have my books to study. And humanly speaking, it's miserable. I can be just as content there. Again, Anybody else said this, I I would be a little suspect. But the Apostle Paul says it in Scripture, it's real. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with freedom. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with friends. There's nothing wrong with fruitful ministry. There's nothing wrong with blankets and clothes. All those things are good. 
But here's the danger that we all have to be aware of. If we take any good thing, any good gift of God, and make it the foundation of my contentment, we're in trouble for lots of reasons. Number one, do you realize how fragile, instantaneously, your contentment becomes when it's rooted in created things? Because they can be taken away. All it takes is a thief, or a storm, or a disease. Or a friend decides they don't like you anymore and your contentment is ruined. So pick your poison, it doesn't matter. Any good thing. We're ordaining a couple of guys to ministry tonight. And one thing that's very easy for ministers to do is say, no, no, my contentment will be in a very fruitful ministry. But what if God decides to give you a ministry like Isaiah or Jeremiah that has some dry seasons? Even in good things like that, we can't make that the foundation of our contentment. Because even when you have it, there will be this sense of fear and trepidation that I've got to micromanage it. I've got to control it to make sure it doesn't slip away. You won't really be content. You won't really be able to enjoy it. Now, Paul says, I learned. You see that in verse 12? I learned the secret. How did he learn the secret of being content in all circumstances? I had a friend recently. We were going to a meeting together. Several of us, we ate lunch, lunch got over, we're going to drive to the meeting, and I said, hey, I'll ride with you. I wanted to talk to him about something. He said, you really don't want to ride with me. I didn't know what, what that means. His car was dirty or something. He said, I've been praying that the Lord would teach me patience lately, and ever since I started praying that, I have caught every red light. I have gotten behind every slow driver, every driver's ed person, right? He's like, don't, don't drive with me. And he was half joking, he was half serious. We did, I think we were the last ones to get to the meeting. Now here's the point. If you are struggling with something like patience and you want to grow in patience, it makes sense. God is going to have to put you in situations where your patience is tried so you can learn to be content in even those circumstances. Make sense? Okay. This, being in God's gymnasium, it's always good. It's always stretching. It's always productive if we respond the right way. It's rarely fun. There was a woman that was on our staff team. This has been many years ago. Not on our staff team anymore. Uh, but years ago, she was on our staff team, and she was uh, one of our most senior single staff women. And she and I were having a conversation. She was struggling with her singleness. Now, this was not the sweet 23-year-old that was one year out of college and all of her buddies had gotten married ring in the spring before they graduated and she was just sad this is I don't know if I'm doing that or not hey, but uh, this was a decade plus or more and what I mean by that is she had had more than one conversations about the hardship of singleness in fact she had given some of the be content in your singleness talks but she's still having a hard time and so she's talking to me about it. And what I would say is this, this was a 201 contentment and singleness talk. Because here's the way that she started the conversation. She said, listen, I know. How about I just use this one and I'll be still. Maybe that'll help. Can you turn that one off? Um, she said this. She said, I know that getting married is not going to fix all my problems. She said, I realize that there are unique problems that come in singleness, 
and there will be unique problems in marriage. But she said, but I feel like I've learned all the lessons of singleness and I'm ready to start learning some of the lessons of marriage. Now, I really appreciated her honesty. And I had a good relationship with this woman and I was able to listen. And I think the Holy Spirit kind of gave me a little bit of insight. And I said to her, I hope with a smile on my face, I think I was gentle. I said, but how do you know for sure? See, knowing, being in God's gymnasium and having to learn, part of it is a gigantic step of faith. You may be in some type of suffering, some sense of low circumstance, hardship, and you may feel like, hey God, I feel like I've learned everything, but if you're still there, must not. And you've got to trust the goodness and the wisdom of God that he doesn't make his people suffer arbitrarily. There's always a reason. And usually, at least one of the reasons, you know, John Piper says in God's providence, we might know two or three things that he's doing, but he's literally doing 10,000 things. But usually at least one of the things you can bet on is he's doing something in my heart to make me more like Christ. Now, if we stopped right here, it would seem like the Christian life is kind of passive, like I'm supposed to just sit back and wait for hardship to come and then grin and bear it and try to learn my lesson. And there's a part of that in the Christian life, but that's not all. We are also supposed to be active. So the second point would be, what do you seek? What do you seek? Okay, look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he gets back around to saying, thank you for the gift. I really do appreciate it. I wasn't being rude earlier. I like the gift. But notice what he says in verse 17 that he's seeking. I seek the profit for you. I seek the benefit for you. The main reason I'm excited about the gift is not because I have more money to buy food and clothes and whatever. The main reason I'm excited about your gift is what it says about your spiritual maturity. And God's going to bless you for being generous to me. Now, once again, if you get an end-of-the-year support letter from some overseas missionary or maybe a campus outreach staff person, and they say, I would like you to send me some money, but I don't really need the money. I just want you to send me the money so that you can get blessed. I would have a little bit of doubt if that was 100% honest. I mean, that sounds a little bit like the prosperity gospel, right? Send me the gift of 1995 and you'll be blessed. But again, when the apostle Paul says it, it's real, it's trustworthy. And here's my best illustration that I can uh, that I came up with that helps me get my mind around this. Again, think about children. And when they're young and Christmas comes up, all they really care about is, I want gifts. Right? What do I want? Here's my list. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about me. And as they get older, and maybe they get a little part-time job, they start to make some money, they start to save, and they start to buy gifts for you. And a lot of times they can't afford very much. And part of being an adult is I got enough money. If I really want something, I'll go buy it for myself. And so your child gives you a gift and there's a sense of thank you. I I do like the gift. But what I'm most excited about isn't the actual gift. It's about what this shows is happening in your heart. That you're growing up. That you're becoming generous. That you want to spend your time, your money serving others. 
And that's part of what the Apostle Paul is saying here, guys. All people seek things. The way that human beings are designed is to think, is to plan, is to seek. And if you want to be content in all circumstances, what should you seek? To the best of your ability, you seek what God seeks. You try to align the desires of your heart, the plans of your heart, with the plans of God's heart. Because listen, God always gets what he wants, right? If God seeks something, he's going to get it. So if I can learn to align my seeking with God's seeking, I'm going to win. I'm going to get what I want. The famous verse, Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, you don't even have to turn there. I think most of us probably know it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It really does have a double meaning. If I will intentionally fall more in love with Christ, eventually I get transformed so I'm more like him. And part of that means is I start to desire the same things that he desires. My old sinful desires get stripped away and I get new transformed redeemed desires. And here's the good news. To the degree that my desires get aligned with the desires of Christ, I literally will get the things that I desire. So be proactive in trying to align whatever you seek to be what is God seeking. And most of the time, what is it that God's seeking? He's seeking to bless people, to see people grow up in Christ-likeness. Now the third point, what do you receive? What do you receive? Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the point that ultimately separates Paul and hopefully us from the Stoics. Paul doesn't say, how can I be so content? Because I'm a real man. Because I'm tough. Because I don't worry about the little stuff. Because I'm so strong, I'm so self-sufficient. He says, no, no, no. How can I be so content? Because I'm constantly receiving from God. God supplies all of my true needs. Not all my desires, not all my whims, not all my wants, not all my fantasies, but God richly supplies the needs of all his people. Oftentimes how he does it is through other Christians. They'd sent him money. He's receiving from God. We have to be receiving from God. Now, you've probably heard this before. It comes up oftentimes in the scripture. Okay. Notice again, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, not out of his riches. If you know someone that's a millionaire and they said, I want to give you a Christmas gift. And you get really excited and they say, here's five bucks. Go have a latte at Starbucks. Probably has to be a small one. Thank you. That's a gift out of the riches, but not according to the riches. But if he says, here's a million dollars, maybe you could buy a Starbucks location with that. I don't know. That's more according to the riches. And that's the way that Father God likes to bless his people. Not just merely a few pennies out of his riches, but he likes to bless. He likes to give in ways that point to his riches, according to his riches. They remind us of his riches. Now go back to verse 13. I skipped that intentionally. Some of you may have noticed. 
This is a very famous verse. It's the verse that's probably been taken out of context by so many Christian athletes over the years. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? We put this on Christian t-shirts with somebody doing the Heisman. It's like, you know, if I just pray hard enough, I'm going to win the Super Bowl. That's not what it means. What it literally means is, whatever it is God calls me to do, no matter how hard, I will be able to do that thing. Because he will put power in me. He will infuse spiritual power in me. Some of you may be listening to this. And again, Paul is writing this from prison. You know, I got a friend in prison right now that I talked to a little bit, probably not as much as I should. And I'll just be honest, when I talk to this friend, the encouragement is pretty one way. It's me trying to encourage him, which is as it should be, makes sense. You read this letter, Paul's the guy in prison. And he's overflowing with joy, encouraging others. This was real, guys. And some of you may be listening and saying, if I literally had to go to prison, I don't think I could do it. And right now, maybe you wouldn't be able to. But here's the point. If God calls you to do something like that, in that moment, he will give you the strength. He will give you the power. He will give you the ability. Supposedly, Oliver Cromwell lost a son in an untimely way. And this was the verse that gave him strength to get through that suffering. John Calvin said, the things which belong to his calling. If God calls you to suffer in some way, God promises to give you the strength to get through that hardship. You can keep your finger in Philippians if you want to, and you can flip to 2 Corinthians for just a second, or you can just stay in Philippians. We'll be right back. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 has a very similar idea. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So it's not just I can do whatever I want to through Christ who strengthens me. No, no, I can do the good works prepared in advance for me through Christ who strengthens me. Let's think for just a second about applying this text to our life. Where in your life do you need to grow more in contentment? I would say pray. God, help me grow more in contentment in this area, but be careful what you pray. You might start getting stuck in a lot of traffic jams. Or it might be something a lot worse. And, and honestly, guys, at some level, God is such a good, loving Father, even if you don't pray for it, He's going to give it to you anyway. He's like the best coach. Or if you're like, Coach, I don't think I can grow anymore. I don't think you get any better. He's like, oh, yes, you can. And I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to help you get there. He's more committed to our growth than we are. Now, that can sound threatening, but it's really a blessing. It's really an invitation. And so much of what we need to learn to do as mature Christians is this. Learn to find the advantage in the adversity. Whatever hardship you're going through, if it's something as small as being stuck in 280 traffic trying to get past the summit during the holiday season, or if it is something much more monumental and painful and hurtful in relationships, the better part of wisdom is prayerfully to say, God, what is it you're trying to teach me? And Father, I do want to stay in your school as long as I have to, 
Lord, if there's something I can do to speed up the learning process, I would like to learn the lessons more quickly so I don't have to stay here. That's a good prayer to pray. It's a wise prayer. So let's say maybe you're going through some hardship where you feel like somebody's maligning you, somebody's attacking you, somebody's lying about you. I don't know. Maybe God is trying to wean you off of caring too much about the approval of other human beings. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not really suffering. I'm actually, I had the best year financially that I've ever had. But you realize this, right? Prosperity sometimes can be a more severe test than adversity. Maybe God's testing you. What are you going to do with all that money? Spend it all on yourself? Save it all? Hoard it all? Or are you going to be generous? What is it that God is trying to teach you in your present circumstances? Hendrickson said this, the goal is to become calm in adversity and humble in prosperity. That's what it really means to be content in all things. Okay. Martin, another commentator, said this, all sincere Christian service with sacrifice and self-denial pleases God. Look again at the end of verse 18. Philippians 4, verse 18, the second half. The gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he's using this Old Testament language to say, when we live our lives in a way to say, God, I love you. I want to honor you. I want to serve your people. And I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to die myself to honor you, to serve others. That makes the heart of Father God happy. He smiles. It's sweet. And that ought to be the greatest ambition of all of our hearts. That ought to be the thing that we seek above and beyond all things, to honor him, to please him. Now, one last thought, we're done. Flip uh, just a couple of pages back to the left to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Because again, if you try to just make application from this text with the heart and the mind of a stoic philosopher, you're going to get exposed. You might be able to grin and bear it for a while. You might be able to white knuckle and persevere for a while, but at some point you'll break down because our hearts were made for joy. Our hearts were made to be loved. And so the real engine that can drive this kind of service, this kind of seeking, this kind of trusting, even in suffering and being content, is this, that the God of the universe, the all-wise, all-powerful God, He really is concerned for you and for me. Otherwise, if that's not true, this whole thing's a fairy tale. But it's possible because he gives us the power. And God, everything we've been saying in this text, God has done. I mean, he has given his life for us as the greatest gift there is. I mean, giving to us according to his riches, he gave himself. He gave his son. He gave his lifeblood. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and you find very similar language. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Lord Jesus Christ lived this. And we suffer in minor ways. He suffered in the major way. There's a sense in which you could say Christ was willing to be content in hell for his people so that we could be free from ever worrying about that. And that ought to be the source and the ground of our confidence that he loves us 
And whatever he's putting us through, it's for our good. And so, yes, I can genuinely be content in whatever he calls me to go through in this life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these truths. I pray for myself. I pray for everyone listening that these truths would not be mere academic propositions. They wouldn't be even just theological abstract truths that we check a box in our mind and say, we believe that. I pray more and more for myself and everyone listening that these would be realities, that we would taste and see your goodness, that more and more we would be genuinely becoming content in whatever circumstances because we are experiencing the power of Christ working within us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.